If you have your scriptures with you, would you please turn to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, and we will continue the exposition of God's Word according to the Gospel writer John. Now, as you're turning there, I want you to note two things. First of all, you will see almost immediately why we chose to uh, delay communion for a week. We usually have the first Sunday of every month, um, but this fits so much better with this passage. And I want you to see that we're going to cover a lot of verses this morning. This is the extended uh, passage on uh, Jesus as the bread and the body and the, and the blood of life. And, and so you really can't break this passage up. Um, and so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you kind of a running commentary so that you can understand these verses as you read them. I'm not going to try to explain to you every verse. We haven't got the time for that. But I'm going to give you the background and the context of this. First of all, let me give you the context of the passage itself. In the sixth chapter, uh, it, uh, the sixth chapter of the gospel opens with Jesus uh, multiplying the loaves and the fishes. That's Eternity's Mathematics 101. Uh, and basically it says God can do way more with anything you got than you can even believe. He can multiply it much more extensively than you ever thought or imagined he could. That's Eternity's Mathematics 101. Well, we, we know from that passage um, that as soon as a crowd uh, knows that uh, Jesus can give them stuff, he wants to, to elect them to office. Because uh, when we know people can give us stuff, we want to uh, have them to keep giving us stuff. So they want to make him a king. And he demurs and, uh, and goes up on a mountain to pray. And then we see the second miracle of this chapter. And that is his coming to them in the storm, walking on the water. Now, we join... <clears throat> the crowd, the multitude, outside, as they have just joined him on the other side, they're looking at the boat, and they want to know how he got over there. Look at verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, he said to them, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, now I want you to note his answers. He keeps doing this in the Gospel of John. It's so cool. He, he never answers their questions. He just tells them what they need to know. Remember when Nicodemus came to him and said, Rabbi, we know you're a great teacher. And Jesus just looked at him and said, you've got to be born again. And that wasn't his question. That didn't even where he was going. But Jesus knew that's what he needed. And that's what he told him. Remember the woman at the well. He said, how about a drink of water? And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me a Samaritan for a drink? And Jesus said, if you knew who was asking, you would ask him for the living water. She would have never gone there. But he knew that's what she needed. They're asking him about boats. And look at what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves. Now, I want, let me just uh, uh, stop right here and tell you, there are three different audiences that he has in this passage. One is the outside. Uh, on the out, uh, uh, in the outside, he addresses the multitudes. The next he will address in the synagogue, and that is the religious leaders. And the next he will address uh, is his disciples. Right now he's, he's addressing the multitudes and he knows they have a problem and their problem is their appetite. It covers up a lot of what they ought to see. And so he says, he says you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. That is, signs are always something that point beyond themselves. He said, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. And they said therefore to him, 
well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? In other words, how do you do this deal? How can we, how can we work it? How do, what do you want? What do you want? How, how can we earn it? And Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's it. Well, they still didn't get it. And they said, therefore, to him, well, then what do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, let me tell you just a few things about this particular passage. First of all, I want to tell you that as he looks at the multitude, he can see one thing, and that's their appetite. And he can see their appetite for that which will not satisfy them for very long. And he says, that's a problem. In other words, that could ruin the very thing you need. That could get in the way of the very thing that you've worked for or that you, that you want, ultimately want is your appetite. I remember about 25 years ago being in a, in a gym in uh, Indianapolis. Back then we called them spas. They were spas. You, know, they had been, you know, the guy holding the world outside and, and, and you walked in, you worked out. And there was this guy in there. I was watching him work out. Man, he was an old guy. This guy had to be... Gosh, I bet he was almost 52 years old. <laughs> I couldn't imagine anybody that old working out. But I watched him. He had a great body, big shoulders, big arms, big legs, you know, muscles just rippling down the legs. He just had one problem. He had this stomach on him. It looked like he was about six months along. He just, it just <laughs> kind of ruined the whole picture. Now, he, was on a, he was on his last set of bench presses. He's just lifting a tremendous amount of weight. And he's just, you know how guys would get ready to yell. He was yelling, bang, you know, and clanks it, you know, and everybody's standing on, yeah, right. And we, you know, guys shout stuff to each other if they talk at all. And, and, and they, they shout like, no pain, no gain, you know, those kinds of things, you know. And he turned around and he said something I'll never forget. He said, really, the only pain I need is for somebody to smack me in the mouth every time I sit down to eat. He knew he had an appetite problem. He knew that what his appetite was doing was ruin, ruining, sabotaging all the rest of his efforts. I want to say to you this morning, just quite frankly, some of you have an appetite problem. It may not be food. It may be another appetite. But it's sabotaging the very thing you want in your life. It's sabotaging the very thing that will give you ultimate satisfaction. And all it does is give you little incremental pieces of satisfaction. And, and then you're mad at yourself afterwards. Right? Absolutely. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't work for the food that perishes. Go deeper. Go higher. Look for the food that is, is of eternity. We, have, we live in a whole culture of people who just see things as, as interruptions or bothers and, and they see just things on the surface. Years ago, I remember being in a, in a processional, funeral processional. I had done the, uh, the funeral of this woman that I had loved. I had loved this woman, known her for many years. We'd been through everything together, including her illness. I'd sat with her at her bedside for many, many a night and, and she loved me. And when she died, it was just a, it was a sweet time because I knew where she was. I was so happy for her. But man, I was just so hurting. And so I was, I was in, the, you know, in, a, in, a, in a cheap funeral. They put the minister in the coach uh, where the casket is. And I was, we were going down in the processional. And, and I was kind of glad to take this, lo, this last ride with her, you know. And I was going through all the memories and how much I missed her and how much her, her life meant to me. 
And we passed this road crew, uh, these, these guys working on the road. And, 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 and I just looked out their window and I was just thinking, you know, if only you could know who's passing you by right now. How, what a great woman this was. And, but they just, they were all working, you know, and they were, you know, looking like they were bothered and trying to keep from getting hit. And, but they were just kept on working, except for this one guy. One guy, this is years ago. And he, he was a guy who looked old enough to be close to retirement age. And he just put down his shovel when he saw us coming. He just took off his hat and bowed his head as we passed by. You'll never know what that meant to me. You'll never know what that meant to him. Because here was a man who didn't see just the surface of things. He knew that even though he might not know that lady, there was, a, there was an act of profound loss here. There was a life that was worth something. And he wanted to, as they used to say, pay his respects. Jesus looked at the crowd and said, you've got to look beyond what you got. You've got to look beyond what's right in front of you. And then they did something very startling. Now, now picture this. Picture this. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fishes. He's just walked on water in the middle of a storm, and they look at him and say, so what do you got? Okay, you got anything else? I mean, what, what, what work are you going to do? What sign are you going to give so that we can believe in you? Do you know what that must have done to him? Yeah, I think you do. Because people have done that to you. I like what the personal Bible study said this week about how does it feel to be loved for what you can give instead of who you are? How does it feel to have somebody build a relationship with you on the basis of what they want out of you instead of on the basis of being close to you as a person? Every one of you knows what that feels like. You all know to have somebody buddy up to you because they want your business. You all know what it feels like. You women know what, what I call predatory dating feels like. They want, to come, they want to go out with you just for what they can get, not for who you... They couldn't care less. You know, they'll be nice, but ultimately they want what they want. You know what that feels like. You know how absolutely dehumanizing that is. We've known it since we were kids. When I read that in a personal Bible study this week, I... I, I, I Flash back to when I was when I was growing up in a neighborhood, and and and, and we we all had gangs of kids that played, and the younger kids played with the younger kids, and the older kids played with the older kids, and and one and we had a kid that was really good at football, and among the younger kids, his name was Denny Adams. This kid could kick that ball, and one day, one one Christmas, his daddy got him a real football. Now my daddy got me a football one time, but it, it was like a brown inner pointed inner tube, you know, it was a, you know just kind of rubber thing. Cost about two nickels. But, but his daddy got him one with leather. It's got, it's got like leather on it. It had like Johnny Unitas or somebody on it. I don't know. What it, and, and, and so he had a real football. Well, the big kids in the neighborhood just a few days later came down and they said, Danny, why don't you come up and play with the big kids? We'd love, to, we'd love you to play with us. And his face lit up like some kid on a farm team, team that had just been drafted to the majors. I mean, his, he was so happy until the following sentence. And don't forget to bring your new football. And his face just sank. 
They knew they didn't want to play with him. They didn't want to play with this football. Every one of you knows what that feels like. Do you not know what that feels like to Jesus when you say, what you got? Just, I'm, that's the reason I'm here, because I, I need you. What you got? What can you give me? What, can, what new religious experience can I have? What bit of religious knowledge can I have that other people don't have? What kind of new behavior can you give me? Because I'm kind of wrecking my life here. What you got? And he looked at him. And he just, he just felt bad. He felt bad for him. And he, and he goes on with the passage. Because they said, you know, in old days we had manna in the wilderness. Fathers gave us manna uh, in the wilderness. Um, and Jesus said to them, that wasn't your fathers. That wasn't Moses. That was my father that gave you that. And then in verse 33, he says this, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Now, in the, relig- in the original language, <clears throat> actually, we don't, in the Greek, <laughs> the Aramaic has this too, though. In that language, there is a double entendre here. And what he's doing is he is laying before them a choice. It's picked up in the subtlety here. You can either state this in terms of a product. That is, that which comes down out of heaven. Or you can state it in terms of a person. He who comes down out of heaven. And what Jesus is doing with this verse is he is saying this. I want you to see it as you see it. What would you choose here, the product or the person? You're going to have to make a choice as to how you interpret it. And that's the same choice that all of us have to make when you come into faith. Are you coming for a product or are you coming for the person? Are you wanting to love what he can give you or are you wanting to love him? Are you wanting to have a religion or you want to have a relationship? You've got to make that choice. And Jesus is giving them that choice here. And then he says this, I'm the bread of life. Look at verse 35. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. What are they missing? They're missing the fact that... Well, I, I, saw, I saw a Peanuts cartoon one time. I'm going to miss Charles Schultz. Uh, and, and, but, I, but Charlie Brown is, uh, is uh, uh, talking to Linus. And, and, and he says, Linus, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Linus says, oh, I want, I want to learn all about people. He said, I want to go to a big university. And I want to learn all about people, what they do and why they do what they do. And Charlie Brown looks at him and says, well, that's really great, Linus. You must want to, you must want to get close to people and help people. And Linus says, no, I'm just nosy. <laughs> I believe a lot of people come to Christ just because they're nosy. Uh, they don't want to get involved with people. That's too sticky. That requires too much. That's too involved. They just want, they're just curious. They're just curious. I wonder this about God. I wonder if I did this, what would happen here? I know. I, let me tell you a story. One time I went to, uh, uh, back in the 60s when I went to college, I, uh, we uh, Coffee houses were in. <laughs> you know, it was stupid, but you know we thought that was cool. So people went to coffee houses. One night I went to this coffee house, and there was this gorgeous girl there. Now my wife knows all about this. 
already confessed. There's this gorgeous girl, and they were singing this song. I don't know if you ever, you, you all remember this song, but it's, it was, uh, um, um, <clears throat> I'm not a queen, I'm not an angel, I'm a woman. Remember this song? You're not a king, you're a man, take my hand. During that song, this woman, yeah, right. No, come on, you guys. During that song, this woman comes over and sits down beside me. And she said, I've been noticing you. I said, have you now? She said, yes, I want to find out about you. Well, we spent the next several hours together. I was enraptured by this woman. Took her home to her dorm, kissed her goodnight. And then I said, so when can we see each other again? She said, oh, we can't. (laughs) What's up? You know, I must have done something horrible. And she said, no, I know the look on your face. She said, I I just want you to know, I don't get involved. I'm curious about people, like to study people, but I don't get involved. I ask around. That's a pretty big university, a high university I went to, but... People who knew her said that was exactly what she did. She'd go out one time because she did not want to be involved. I wonder how many people come into the family of God and they just want the information, but they don't want to get involved. And that's what Jesus is is looking at these people and he just feels horrible for them. Now, there is another audience and and they switch audiences here. And, and, And... And it's in verse 41, the Jews start to be addressed. Now, I want you to skip over to verse 59 and and see the context of this. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, that's the new context. The first one was outside to the multitude. The second one is inside to the religious leaders. But it's the same line of conversation. Only the Jews are grumbling. You know why? Because that's what religious leaders usually do. They grumble. You know why? Because they want to keep control. Just as the multitudes had a problem with their appetite, religious leaders have a problem with control. They always want to be in control. And so they were mad at Jesus because what he was saying was something that they hadn't been teaching. And so it says in verse 41, the Jews therefore were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying... Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. (laughs) Some of you need to hear that today. Those of you who love to stay in control and you feel like you're getting out of control, usually what you do is you grumble. I want you to hear this from Jesus. Stop that. Because I got something that you need to hear, he would say. Now, There is a problem here, and the problem is this. It's not only our need for control, which is is almost paramount, especially in the American church, especially in this culture. Uh, But in in most of Western culture, we have this thing that we we link religiosity with with the capability of controlling circumstances. Let me tell you a story. I... uh, um, um, Heard years ago about this guy. I, I, don't, I have no idea if this is true or not. 
but it's a good illustration. About, in, about a guy in England who just wanted to earn a paycheck. I mean, he wanted to grow up, but he wanted to have a career that had some respect to it. So he decided he'd go into ministry. Wasn't especially a man of faith, but just in England, it's a state church, and you get a steady paycheck, and your job's fairly secure. And so he, so he started to go to the seminary, started studying in seminary. Well, this person who knew him knew that midway through his seminary that uh, he had switched to medical school. And so he approached him and he said, why did you go from the seminary to the medical school? And the guy looked at him and said, pure economics. He said, I've learned that people will pay way more to take care of their body than they will their soul. Well, he just shrugged his shoulders and he walked off. Years later, he learned that this man had gone from medical school to law school. And he went back to him and he said, why did you go from medical school to law school? And he looked at him and he said, pure economics. I have learned that people will pay more to be right than they will to take care of either their body or their soul. That is absolutely true with many people. They want to do anything to be right. And so they will argue their point and miss the person. They will argue their point and miss the relationship. Miss the main part of their point. And Jesus looked at these Jews and he felt so sorry for them because they had been orphaned by their beliefs. They were so interested in being right in the details, they had missed the person. Look at what he says. He says in verse 49, Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. Somebody has said that tradition is the living faith of the fathers, of the, of the dead fathers. And traditionalism is the dead faith of the living fathers. These people were struggling with traditionalism. All they could do was repeat the formulas. And they had long since learned, uh, lost a personal relationship with God. He said, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. He wasn't mad at him. He just felt bad for him. Because here they were so angry, so religious and so angry. Why do those go together? So religious and so angry, but orphaned. He wanted them to know the father. Years ago, I, when I was ministering in Indianapolis, I uh, got word that not too far from me was an, uh, an elderly lady who I had pastored uh, in uh, um, Princeton, Indiana, a little town in southern Indiana. And, uh, and she was living in a nursing home not too far from me, and I thought I'd go over and see her. And because and, and, I love this lady. She was, a, she was just a crackerjack lady and great sense of humor, wonderful woman. And I love to, I love to sit down and, and listen to stories of old people. They're just so interesting to me. And so I went over and I, and I sat down and she's 90 years old by this time, but just as sharp as she could be. Remembered everything. So I said, well, tell me, you know, I hadn't kept in touch with the old, with the old parish. I said, tell me what's up. Tell me what's happening. What do you know? And boy, she just started down. She, was, she kept in touch with everybody in that town. And, and, and she got about three quarters of the way uh, in her, in, into her stories. And she, she did this. And I said, what's wrong? She said, oh, terrible tragedy. Do you remember, and, and, and 
she told me the name of this family. And I remembered them very well. Both of them, both the mother and father were high school teachers and, and they had one little girl. And, uh, and I said, yeah. And, and, uh, and she said, horrible tragedy. The father was coming to Indianapolis to interview for a job and he was killed in an automobile accident. And I felt like somebody had just kicked me in the chest. I could hardly breathe because I remembered the mother. And, the, and I said, what, how are they doing? I named them my name, and, and, and she said, that was very difficult. She said, the mother was okay, even though she was, all, she was torn apart, but she, she could grieve. But they had such fears for this little girl because she was expressing absolutely no acknowledgement that her father wasn't there anymore. And, and she just, she wouldn't cry. She wouldn't talk about it. She just wouldn't communicate about it. And so they were so terribly afraid. But then she said, do you remember, and she named another family with a little girl who lived by them. They were in our church also. And I said, yeah. She said, let me tell you the rest of that story. She said, one day this little girl was over playing with this other little girl. And they were playing um, dollies. And they were playing with their little, and she named the kind of, I don't know what, the, I, I, I had three boys. I don't know what they are, what they are. <laughs> but the little things have hair in <laughs> And you switch their clothes and stuff like that. And so they were playing, switching outfits and they combing the hairs and so on and so forth. And, and these two little girls are braiding the hairs, which, which takes a lot of concentration on a doll, I guess. And they're just braiding the hair, you know, talking away. And, and the mother's kind of looking in to see if they're okay. And there came a lull in the conversation, just, just a pause for, for a few moments. And... During that pause, come on, I'm going, to, I'm going to wait till you sit down to, to finish this. During that pause, the little girl who was now without a father looked over at this little girl and for the first time said, I don't have a daddy anymore. And this other little girl without hesitation, put her little doll down and got up and went over to this girl and put her arms around her and said, don't worry, we can share my daddy. I want to tell you that day, Jesus was looking at these poor orphaned people. These people who had so imbibed of the letter that they had died had so left the spirit that they had, they had left life. And he looked and said, why don't you share my daddy? I want you to know there's life. And I want you to know how that life comes. Look at the next verses. They are very difficult verses. Both for the Jews and for the followers of Christ who paid attention only to on a physical level. He says in verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
Now that's a tough, that's a tough sentence, isn't it? That's a tough thought for a Jew. But it shouldn't have been. It should not have been. You know why? Because as you will learn next week when we discuss the feasts of Judaism, all of them pointed to Jesus Christ. All of them. We went to a Seder last week. There's another Seder coming up on April the 18th down in the Conway Ministry Center, First, pa First Baptist Pine Castle. Go to that if you can. Because the symbolism of the Seder, the Passover, all points to Jesus Christ. All points to the coming Messiah. All is filled in Jesus Christ. These people were not surprised, should not have been surprised that he was, after proclaiming the word, talking about blood. It says in Exodus 24 that after the word was read, that blood was poured on the people because in blood there's life. And all Jesus was saying was, today. Make the application today. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Make the application today. It's me. Some of you in here have been waiting for a personal relationship with the Lord. And you keep waiting for this big whatever. No, today. He's here, now. You can do it today. You don't have to look forward to it anymore. It can happen to you today. And so there is this now very significant division. Are there going to be people who follow him even though they don't know exactly what this means? That's very mysterious to them. But they're going to have confidence enough to follow. Or are there people going to say, whoa, we've just had a splitting of the ways here. Well, the religious leaders were already separate from him. But I want you to re read the last audience here, and that's his own disciples. Now, I want you to remember that in John, disciple doesn't mean true believer. It means what it means, learner. That's what disciple means, learner. So there were many people who were learning from Jesus, many people who were learning about Jesus. We have, we have true believers in this sanctuary and those that are just here to learn. They haven't placed all their confidence in Christ yet. That's how it's always been. And so there's a mixed, there's a mixed audience here. And it says in verse 60, Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, it is a, said this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? It says, verse 63, It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh, the, the flesh profits nothing. In other words, he's saying, I, I want you to understand that God will give you an understanding if you need it. God, it's on a spiritual level. It's not just on a physical level that you've got to understand what I said. But he knows what's going to happen. He knows they're going, to, they're going to desert him because of Eternity's Mathematics 202, which doesn't just involve multiplication. It involves division. It involves subtraction. It involves a remainder from which there comes another multiplication. Read on with me. It says, but there are some of you, verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, you do not want 
to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let me talk about that just for a second. Because I think this is where many of you may be this morning. Some of you may be on one side of that, in that you have had people walk away from you who you thought would be there forever. And some, something got tough. You came up to a difficult time, and, and rather than stay with you, they walked away. And you felt like the remainder. I'm all that's left. Some of you are thinking about walking right now. It's tough. And you've run, you've run up into kind of a division of philosophy. And you're wondering whether you should stick it out. Now, not every division of philosophy is between apostate behavior and faithful behavior. Some is just a division of philosophy. This, this church was formed out of a division of philosophy. There came a time in this church's, I mean, there was a, there was a multiplication phase in, this, in, this, in the life of this church. And there came a time in the life of this church years ago when somebody said, you know, I think a church probably ought to only be as big as the minister can take care of. And because he's, he ought to have direct relationship and be the one who takes care of everybody. And so that, that you know, governs the fact that we probably ought to have a church about this size. Now, there's nothing apostate about that. That's a, that's a philosophy of ministry. But they left. And the ones who were left were the ones that said, I think God ought to determine that. And if we get big, I think we'll probably ought to take care of each other instead of the minister having to take care of everybody. But I want to tell you, when I got here 15 years ago, they felt like the remainder. They felt like the main church had moved away and, and they were all that's left. Some of you right now are feeling like, well, I'm not much because the main deal moved away and I'm all, I'm all that's left. I want to tell you something. You're what God builds on. Look at what God did from the remainder. Look at what God did because, because mathematics doesn't just go into division and then a subtraction and a remainder. In that remainder, there's another multiplication. I want to tell you, no matter how badly you feel right now, I want to tell you, God doesn't see you as a remainder. He sees you as the source of fruitfulness and multiplication in the future. But I have something more to say. And that is for those of you who are thinking about leaving. Thinking about leaving the faith because you feel like you're a hypocrite and you can no longer justify the two. And you won't let this thing go. So you just think, man, I just ought to walk because I'm tired of the hypocrisy. I want to I ask you something. Where are you going to go? What are you going to go to? Jesus is the only game in town. He's the only one with an answer. Only one with life. Where are you going to go to? More short-term solutions? More emptiness? More appetite that has to be filled? Where are you going to go? Don't do that. Don't leave the Lord. Don't leave your family. Some of you think, I'm, I'm just leaving my family. Things got tough. We've got a difference in philosophy here. I'm leaving. Where are you going? Don't do that. You think about leaving your friends? Don't do that. Where are you going to go? Sometimes, if the devil can't get us with our appetites, and if the devil can't get us with our spirit of control, 
He'll get disciples with their inconstancy. They're back and forth. They're deciding, well, what should I, shouldn't I? And then on a week, on a weekday, boom, you'll make a decision. And it'll be the wrong one. And you'll look back and say, missed the point, didn't I? Years ago, I'll quit with this. Years ago, um, Charles Kahn, this is a true story. Charles Kahn was in um, um, Atlanta. And some of you from Atlanta, I don't know whether this church, this uh, restaurant still uh, exists or not, but it did years ago. He was, he was looking for a place to eat, and he didn't know what was around him, and he was staying in a hotel. And so he looked in the Yellow Pages, and he came across a restaurant called the Church of God Grill. <laughs> well, are you kind of curious about that? Church of God Grill. So he, he called him up. And, and sure enough, somebody answered the phone real cheery. Church of God Grill. And he said, well, you know, I'm looking for some place to eat tonight, but I, I'm, I'm kind of curious about, your, about the name of your restaurant here. And how'd, that, how'd, you get the, how'd you name yourself the Church of God Grill? And he said, oh, he said, there's a story to that. He said, you know, there was a little mission here. And, and we were struggling a little bunch of people with a little mission. Um, and, and so to help the mission out, to help the church, we just started selling chicken. We just started selling chicken dinners after services. Well, people loved that chicken. He said they, they just came from miles around. And we, you know, helped, you know, helped the church out. Just kept, 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 you know, baking the chicken, frying the chicken, whatever they did to the chicken. And he says, well, that's really cool. He said, well, what, how's the church doing? The guy says, oh, we abandoned the church. It just, it just kind of, it just kind of went, you know, it didn't work. But we got the chicken. <laughs> and we still call ourselves the Church of God Grill. Let me tell you something. If you're thinking of abandoning the faith, all you're going to be left with is a chicken. <laughs> you will have missed the most important part of your life. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for these strong words. Thank you for alerting us to the fact that our appetites can sabotage our life and, and, and make us avoid the true bread that comes down out of heaven. You, thank you for letting us understand that our spirit of control leads to just that, control, not life, and that we can miss our personal relationship with our Father through you, the one that gives us life. Thank you that you have told us that there will come tough times, but you have reminded us that only you have life. Lord, as you come to us in this blessed sacrament, come to us not just in element, but in person not just in physical form, but in spiritual nature. And live in us, we pray.